Am I having what? Got you. It was an echo. Hey, God, God, God. If I owe you something, get it from God. We in here, man. I got the legend back in here. We want to feature some of his artwork and just ask some important questions that, you know, some of y'all may want answers to. We sitting right here with a real, real live uh, soldier. Real, real live Black Panther, man. Somebody that's inspired me over the years. Muhammad, we're going to jump into some questions, man. Make sure y'all... Uh, put that Discord link in there, too, because I'm going to let y'all in on Discord fairly soon just in case y'all have some questions. Um, we're going to start with these two uh, pieces of artwork, man. We're going to uh, you know, start with this Marvin Gaye. Y'all see this Marvin Gaye painting? You know, Tell these people how long it took, uh, took you to do that, how much you're charging for it, where they can find you. You know, We, we love to show, showcase our elders on here. Go ahead and have at it. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, that Marvin Gaye piece is one of my recent pieces that I did. It took about a week or two to do. It's uh, four, uh, four feet by five feet in size, and it's an original wall painting. Okay. And I'm trying to get about 30 grand for it. 30 grand, man. Yeah. yeah. Let's do it, man. But I will have some limited editions okay. on canvas available for anyone that can, can't afford the original. They can buy one of the limited editions. Buy one of the, okay. Yeah, definitely, man. We uh we definitely want to support, man. If you if you if you bought a new crib, you got a wall big enough, and you want to have some art painted by a legendary figure, we're gonna build value today, so you can so you can know exactly who you're getting it from and why you're paying that price. And next to it is that Nina Simone. Tell everybody the history behind that. Uh, that is a limited edition piece that uh, from the original. Uh, Original piece was a uh, forty-eight by sixty, same size as uh, a little, little bit smaller than Marvin. Um, and uh, the limited edition is available for anyone who's interested for fifteen hundred dollars. Right. Yes. Hey, you get the original for fifteen hundred, man. I'm selling art. You didn't know that. <laughs> you didn't know I was an artist. Shout out to my uncle James Spearman. He painted most of the murals in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He painted the big old Jimi Hendrix on the roof. Uh, James Spearman, my grandmother's brother. Shout out to him and his wife. Love and respect. So the other day we had you on the show. We talked about the journey with the Panthers. I just want to go over some questions and clarify some things because I feel like, you know, there were some things that you said that um, that may have caught some people off guard. You know, I don't think a lot of people understood that you guys considered yourself an army. Um, when were you enlisted? What was your official date? October 68. October 68. What do you remember about that day? I was coming out of high school one day, and there was a gentleman standing outside passing out flyers to promote Eldridge Cleaver speaking at South Park on 51st and Avalon. Okay. He said, my name is John Huggins. I'm with the Black Panther Party. And he said, you want to come help us? I said, sure. Man, just that easy. Yeah. You, were, you wasn't playing no sports or nothing in high school? You weren't playing football? Oh, I was running track. So you was able to stay on the team? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was a junior in, at Centennial High School at the time. Okay. What was your event? What, what, what did you run? I ran the uh, 660. Okay. And the 880. Okay. All right. How did you, did you tell your, your, your family, your friends, your parents, cousins, did you tell them you was joining or that, that, that was a surprise? I didn't say nothing to nobody. 
So how they figure? How did they find out? They slowly started seeing me evolve into a different kind of guy. Right. You right. Know, uh, start becoming more politically conscious, and the way I would let them know slowly but surely. Uh, they'd see me with the Panther papers. Yeah. And they saw me with my leather coat. And, and why is our son saying, fuck Nixon? We don't get it. I, <laughs> <laughs> fuck Richard Nixon, son. You were just playing basketball last week. Now it's fuck Richard Nixon. <laughs> Richard Nixon was the president of the United States at that time. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. So what were your reasons? I mean, because look. You were very young. You were 16. You were in the Panthers for two years. Do you feel like the reasons that you joined um, are the same reasons that you stayed? Or once you joined the organization, did you find other things that you didn't even plan on finding that kind of made you uh, willing to stay and fight for the cause? Um, you got to understand at the time, the, the impact that the Black Panthers had on the nation. And uh, when... The news came out that these black guys marched up to the state capitol with these black leather coats and carrying shotguns and rifles and pistols protesting the end of the open carry law. Right. It was a bold move, and it became a national headline, and it was, you know, on ABC News and NBC, uh, the local newspapers, these images of these Black guys, everybody wanted to be a Panther. Right, 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 right. You know, it was, it was like we fighting back. And, you know, uh, this was like right after Martin Luther King uh, got killed. When King got killed, that really sparked uh, a movement to join the Black Panther Party because that the Black Panther Party symbolized the most Significant, the strongest uh, force fighting back against the system. Right. Everybody uh, was hurt when King got killed because King, you know, he was all about peace. Right. But he died violently. Right. Uh, you know. Did it match? Because, you know, as, as children and you were a, a young man when you joined, your imagination tells you it's going to be one thing and then you join it. Is something else. Did it match your imagination? Like, what did you think it was going to be when you joined, and then what did it turn out to be once you were in it? Uh, well, you know, growing up in Compton, uh, hadn't really come up against uh, or seen or been a witness to um, the police brutality and aggression that was being propagated. And when I came to South Park for that rally, I seen all these black people with leather coats. It was like thousands of brothers and sisters. It was really something that I wanted to continue to be a part of. Right, right. You know what I mean? I, and these guys were hardcore guys that come out of prison and they came out of the military. They, you know. Man. Yeah, they symbolized strength. Right. What was the basic training like as far as the physical aspect? Push-ups, sit-ups, running, like how did they physically prepare uh, you guys for war? No, well, they didn't. They they were teaching us how to become regimented because uh, a lot of the guys were from former military guys who uh, knew how to shoot weapons and make bombs and do that type of stuff. 
And in the process of becoming a real panther, you know, we were becoming politically educated. Right. We had to go to the PE classes, political education, at the headquarters on 41st and Central. Oh, wow. Yeah, every week for two months. You know, that was required that you had to go to PE classes. Right. Any martial arts training? Not that I was a witness to. Right. No. Did you meet Huey P.? Never met Huey. No. Met Eldridge. Right. Okay, you met and Bobby. And Bobby Seals. Yeah. Wow. Can you can you felt can you describe how you felt the first time you thought it would be some type of combat as a Panther? Where you thought, man, we gonna it's 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 time to bust our guns and we're about to go to war. Um Well you heard about a lot of different incidents that was going on locally and nationally where individuals would uh, go out on missions and end up either getting killed or killing some, you know, situations. Right, right, right. And uh, you hear about people going to jail and, you know, that the more and more that happened, right. the more you were fully aware of what you was involved with. Right. You know what I mean? It was, it was no joke. That wasn't no joke. Did you ever do recruiting once you got in? Did you recruit your friends to join? Uh, there was a young man, a couple of people that uh, wanted to hang out with me and wanted to see what I was doing, and I invited them all to come to the Black Panther office. And, and once they started coming and saw what the program was all about, they some in some cases they joined Wow. They were friends of mine. Right, right. Were you considered to be young for a Panther? Did they recruit young Yeah, there person? was quite a few young people uh, in the teens and uh, early 20s that a lot of the leaders of the Panthers were, like, no older than 30. Right. You know what I mean? I mean young cats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. But they were bold, and, and, you know, you becoming a Panther, you grew up real fast being around older people than you. Right. You know. Did you guys ever kick anybody out? Oh, a lot of people got kicked out. I got kicked out. Oh, wow. Yeah. They had a national purge that took place. Wow. Why was they kicking brothers out? I think that a lot of that had to do with the FBI implants that had become Panthers and they're they were doing strategic moves, getting rid of folks that they thought were uh, dangerous. Wow. Because by the, at the end of the day, uh, when the Black Panther Party split up into two organizations, uh, what was left of the Black Panther Party really wasn't nothing. Right. Com- you know, compared to what it was before. Who, and what who, was... The faction that left, that went underground, what they call underground, started a new movement, became the Black Liberation Army. Right. Okay. Is there anybody you remember like, okay, wow, that's probably the, that's probably the, the, the plant, the agent that really hurt us the most? Um, a couple people that I suspected that, um, you know, at the end of the day, 
it left no doubt in my mind that they could have been that. Wow. You know what I mean? What was the first few months of service like? How long did it take you to adapt? I'm probably, you probably had to get up earlier. Did they make you eat? Well, different? I was still in school okay. at the time. Yet once I, you know, and uh, John Huggins, I started tagging along with him uh, when I first got involved with the Black Panther Party. And I was riding around with him and his wife, Erica, different places they would take me uh, and introducing me to other Panthers that were veterans that were already in the party when I, before I joined. Right. And uh, they were giving me instructions and orders to work with them, work with these people every day. Right. And I would go out and do whatever. Yeah. Sell newspapers, uh, function at the headquarters, uh, doing different things. Uh, I ended up uh, working with Elaine Brown who uh, uh, was like a big sister to me. Okay. And she ultimately became uh, the Deputy Minister of Information when John Huggins got killed. And, uh, she started a newsletter uh, that came out twice a month. So who killed John Huggins? The members of the Maulana Karengas group, the US organization. Okay, so he was... He got killed with Muncie With, with Muncie. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Oh, wow. The two of them got killed together. Together, right. On the campus of UCLA. Right, right. Okay, so I'm, okay. See, I always thought the, the FBI, do you think the FBI sent the US organization to do that, or that was just because of the strife? Well, I think strife. that uh, what they had going on were people that they planted that whose job was to cause dissension between the Black Panther Party and other groups. Right. And dissension within the Black Panther Party. Right. Caused the Black Panther Party to, to implode. Right. Yep, yep. From infighting. Yeah. Yeah. So when so when they start getting rid of members that were uh, important pieces to the movement, like letters. Other people, other people would take their place. Right. That would sort of guide the the movement in a different direction. Right, right. Than where it was. Right, 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 right. Because by that time, uh, there were so many people that got locked up and killed. I mean, people were getting killed. I was going to a lot of funerals. Really? Of people that were Panthers that were involved in activities that, or getting stopped by the cops or getting harassed by the cops or getting set up by the cops to get killed. Did they have a, a special way that they buried Panthers? Was there a special ceremony, a song? Like, how did they commemorate people at well, their we passing? we had revolutionary songs that were written and created by other Panthers, like Elaine Brown. She was a singer. And a lot of times when we have these Panther funerals, a lot of these songs were sung at these, to pay tribute to these fallen soldiers. Wow, I feel like I need to learn a Black Panther fight song or something. I, is it a song well, you always Brown, sing? Elaine Brown had an album called Seize the Time. Seize the Time, okay. Yeah. And she wrote a book with the same name. 
Oh man, you remember any of them songs, man? Some something you could teach us, man. I, I want to. Revolution has come off the pick. Time to pick up the gun off the pick. <laughs> Revolution <laughs> has come off the pick. Time to pick up the. Well, gun. We were calling the police the pig. Right, right, right. That's a. Yeah. <laughs> wow, wow. So how did that, how did that did that make you more popular amongst your peers when they found out you were a panther? Yeah. A so, lot of cases. So the women just start coming from everywhere. No, it wasn't like that. I mean, <laughs> women were joining the Black Panther Party. Right. Becoming right. Uh, in powerful positions. They were leaders to becoming leaders. Right, right. And all over the United States. So was your goal to be a soldier or did you see yourself leading the party one day? No, I didn't see myself like that. Because I, I stayed in my lane. I, I, I utilized... Uh, the talent and ability that I had as a photographer and, and doing art, right. uh, doing illustrations for the newsletter and uh, working with Elaine, I was learning a lot. Right. Uh, and learning about the connections that she had with the white radicals in the Jewish community that gave us support. Right. Also, there were white radicals in the Jewish community that supported the Black Panther cause. Oh, yeah. What was, the white folk. What, what was the name of those or some of those organizations? Well, you had the Students for Democratic Society, one group. And then you had the White Panthers. You had the... Uh, there were actually White Panthers. Well, yeah, they called themselves that. You know, they were uh, students rebelling against the... Anarchist type. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, you know, they got a lot of them going on right now. A lot of those anarchists yes. that come to these different situations and they add uh, violence and try to create uh, just like they had a chaos. Yeah. Oh yeah. My cousin got killed by the passing of the police and uh, there was a lot of those types of people there protesting. They weren't even from the neighborhood. Weren't even from the neighborhood but they used the murder of uh, my relative to further their cause. Yeah. Yeah. So I know exactly how that works. Um, so what tools did you use that you learned from the Panthers? What tools do, did you, did, do you still use that you learned from the movement? Like what helps you in your everyday life now that you may have learned back then? Um, I've gone on to some other things in life that have, you know, that whole Panther era has gotten so far away from me. Right. I don't even see it anymore. Right. I can reflect when I talk to you and other people about my personal experiences now, but I can't see myself uh, utilizing any techniques or any behaviors other than becoming more mature. Indeed. You know. Top five boxers of all time. Top five boxers. Jack Johnson. That's my number one. Sugar Ray Robinson. That's my number three. Jersey Joe Walcott. Okay. Muhammad Ali. Uh, no hammer and Hank? Hank <laughs> Armstrong. Hank Armstrong. Yeah. Yeah, first five division uh, world champ. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people don't bring his name up, but I got to put him in the top five. He's uh, definitely in the top five. Yeah, he's he was no joke. So what... um. 
So Jack Johnson, number one, I get that for obvious reasons. He's He is the genesis of everything a superstar boxer should be. He knocked the doors down. Indeed. So everybody else that looked like us could be able to be like him. Right. And to uh, become world champion in whatever division that they were in. Right. And the number two, you had Ali. Yeah. Ali. Okay. So for me, Ali is the. I got Sugar, Sugar Ray Robinson, Ali neck and neck. What made Sugar? What made uh, Muhammad Ali uh, stand out the most from them? Because Muhammad Ali was a outside the ring a fighter for black people, right? Because he had become a you know, a Muslim and a, and a member of the Nation of Islam, which was at that time a black nationalist right. type of group. And his relationship with Malcolm X right. in the beginning was something that caused him to become who he became. Right. Now, you were a Muslim when Malcolm was alive or no. that was after you went to prison? Okay. No. I didn't be, when Malcolm was alive, I was in junior high school. Okay. Uh, when he got killed, I was in the seventh grade in 1965. Right. So you found the faith in prison? No. Okay, on the street. No, I became a Muslim in 82. Okay, year I was born? When I started studying the religion while I was a Christian in a church. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I started wanting to know more about Islam. So I started going over to the uh, Islamic Center of Southern California on 4th and Vermont. Wow. And there was a magazine that came out called the Islamic World Review that came out once a month. It was a worldwide magazine that had articles written in it. It was a column written in it by Sheikh Ahmad Zaki Yamani, who was at that time the Saudi Arabian oil minister. And you know, some things that he would write in there would be inspiring to me to want to know more about the religion. Right. And I had a friend I went to high school with at Centennial High School named Leroy Connolly. His name is Dawood now. He got burned up real bad in a car accident while we were in high school. And right before I caught my bank robbery, he was hospitalized with severe injuries from that car accident. Burned him up real bad, lost fingers and stuff. And uh, when I went to prison, I had saw him for the last time, went to visit him in the hospital. I didn't see him no more for almost 10, 12 years. I heard that he had become a Muslim. And I heard that he was over at the Islamic Center a lot on 4th and Vermont during the time that I wanted to learn more about the religion. So I started going to these uh, lecture classes at the Islamic Center in an effort to learn more about the religion while I was a member of a church in Inglewood. Oh, wow. Okay? Right. Because they were talking Jesus Christ and, you know, he was the son of God and all this stuff. And I wanted to know more about Islam because a lot of the cats that I went to high school with 
were members of the Nation of Islam. Right. And I thought maybe Islam was more about more to it than that. Right, right. So I had to learn about it. How did you break it to your pastor? Like I know he uh, come on, brother. I, I mean didn't you been... really tell him. Okay. I just drifted away slowly but surely from the church. And uh the more I saw these articles in the magazine, Islamic World Review, where they were talking about Muslims uh, believed in Jesus and Moses and all. I'm saying, wow, I'm already believing in that, being in the church. Right. Uh, so I wanted to learn more about it. And once I started learning more about it, I started to embrace it more. And then I ended up taking my Shahada, which is what, when you take Shahada, you become a Muslim. Right. So what would you do when you, cause did you move to a different community when you became a Muslim? No, I stayed so, in the same community. So what? But you, I started uh, networking with other people. With other people, so especially with, people from around the what world. What church did you go to before you became a Muslim? It was called the World One for Christ Ministries, the First Apostolic Church of England. Oh yeah, that name would have drove me up out of there too. <laughs> that, I mean, that's. <laughs> but what? But when you would run into these people from First Apostolic AME Inglewood Church of God and Christ in the streets, and they're like, "Brother, my, where you been at?" You just what would you, you just ignore them? No, I wouldn't ignore them. I would, you know. See, I got married to this. Young lady. Uh, she was still a Christian. She was a Christian. She so, was the one that motivated me to go to this church. Wow. So how, did you? were you able to convert the, the woman you were married to? No. Oh, man. No. That, <laughs> did that break the relationship up? No, no. Drugs did. Okay. Yeah, wow. that, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a lot lot more to it, to this story. Yeah. Uh, but it really devastated uh, we were, we we became more of the victims of the national plague, right. of addiction that took place over the United States from crack coast e- to coast, crack epidemic in right. the eighties, right? You know, it got my family too. Yeah. So that, I wonder how that works. So say you were a woman and you become a Muslim and she's a Christian, do you have to remarry her in Allah's eyes in order for it to be a no, recognizable? No, no, no. no, no. It's uh. In Islam, uh, it's permissible for you to marry a non-Muslim or be with someone who is not a Muslim as long as they believe in God. Right. That's the, the first step for that union to be okay. Right. As long as they're a believer. If, they're, if there's someone that don't believe, then you can't even deal with them. Right. Interesting. Because hmm. there's only one God. Indeed. One creator of all things. The unseen God who created the universe and everything that exists. Everything submits to his will. That's what we believe in Islam. Right. That's what Islam is all about. Peace and submission to the will of the creator of all things. Right. All the planets and stars in the universe. All the galaxies that exist out there. Right. Everything that we, us, all of this, right. created by the one creator. And everything submits to his will. Hey, I can roll with that. Wow. 
Yeah, so that's very interesting because I never really thought about the the dynamics between uh, a husband and wife that are different religions. So when you and her separated, did you marry a Muslim woman or did you? I ended up eventually marrying a Muslim woman. Right. But then we got a divorce okay. eventually after a couple of years. And it wasn't because we couldn't get along. It, I couldn't get along with her because she wanted to use drugs, and I didn't want to use the drugs. Right, right. You know, the drugs don't discriminate. When do you remember crack being on the scene? Like, when do you remember that? In hit? the early 80s. Early 80s? Yeah. No, I had an uncle who was a little younger than you, but he said, man, when it was new, he said one time he was out there selling it, and the police thought it was candy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They didn't have a clue to what it was. So talk- they were so used to seeing it in the powder form. Right, right. You know what I mean? Right, right. And yeah. they were kicking down doors and busting drug dealers that were selling powder. When they saw this crack thing, they were like, what the heck is this? <laughs> you know, and it was the most devastating thing that a person could do to get hooked on that stuff. Indeed. I mean, I come yeah. from I come from the generation, you know, that you produced. And uh, I definitely, you know, aunties and uncles, it definitely uh, changed the family. Everybody... Every level of life, entertainment, sports, movies, politics, that touched that got devastated by that. Yeah, you, the guy behind you right now, Marvin Gaye, one of the greatest singers, producers, writers that existed. He fell victim to it too. Crack cocaine, he sure did. did Whitney you? Houston, <laughs> the mayor of D.C. Right. Aaron Pryor, world champion. Michael Dokes, heavyweight champ. Right. Boxers, entertainers, common folk. Touch that, wipe him out. You ever meet Marvin Gaye? I met his brother, okay. Frankie Gaye. I used to manage a club in the late 70s when I wasn't messing around with crack. I was snorting cocaine. Right. And I was a club manager at this club called the Disco 9000, which was a popular place in L.A. Right. A lot of entertainers and people would come up to the Disco 9000, hang out and party. Frankie Gay came up there one night. Right. And the security guards that was working for me came to me and said, look, Marvin Gaye's brother's at the door. Won't you let, can you let him in? I said, yeah, let him on in. So he walks up to me, he says, hey, man, I'm Frankie Gaye. I'm Marvin Gaye's brother. I said, I can tell you look just like him. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Marvin had a recording studio down the street from the club near Wilcox and Sunset. It's still there. Okay. And uh, I, I took a video of it. I'm going to show it to you. Matter of fact, I'll send it to you, the video. Right. It's still there, and it's owned by John McLean, who's the co-executive of Michael Jackson's estate. Right. And uh, Ernie Barnes, who did the uh, the artwork the for the Good Shack. Times background. Mm-hmm. The Sugar Shack. The Sugar Shack. Well, there's a mural in the back of Marvin's studio that's... That's that that Sugar Shack mural. Oh wow! Paint, the Ernie Barnes painted. Right. Yeah. 
Do you remember how crack was introduced to you? Like, do you remember? Yes. How did it happen? Uh, a friend of mine, I think I mentioned to you, the guy named Ed Edwards, that, uh, introduced me to Don King. He was a drug dealer, and he was had a limousine service, and he was, you know, doing all kinds of stuff. One day he came to me, and he showed me. He said, "Man, this is how this is how it is. Because the police come, all you gotta do is." Toss it out like that, and it's gone. Right. And I, you know, I wasn't even trying to mess with it at that time. And Ed, I was doing a lot of paintings for him that were decorating his condominiums in Las Vegas. And sometimes he would pay me in cash and powder cocaine. Wow. And I'd have a lot of cocaine around that lasts for a long time. So you was just using cocaine, you weren't selling it? No. Okay. But I was getting it a lot like that uh, in payments. Right. You know, uh, a guy owed me $1,000, he'd give me 500 in cash and 500 in cocaine. Right, right. That type of thing. Yeah. And I could sell it if I wanted to, uh, but it would just be around my house, you know. And, you know, as long as I wasn't smoking it, I was Stay sharp every day, keep money in my pocket. One day I was over at my friend's club. He had a nightclub called uh, Jackie O's on La Cienega and Olympic. And his name was Demetrius. He's still around. He started messing with that stuff. And I had just left Ed Edwards' office in Century City. Got paid for a portrait that I did of Sugar Ray Leonard. For him. Right. And he, he gave me this ounce of cocaine and about $500 in cash. And I came over to Demetrius and I said, hey, D, uh, I got, look what I got here, man. You know, and he said, well, why don't you cook that up for me? I said, I don't know nothing about that. <laughs> and so I watched him cook it and it came up into a little rock. I said, man, what's, what? how does that make you feel? Right. He said, man, don't you ever try to do this, man. I said, well, I want to see what it's like. Oh, wow. Woo-wee. <laughs> <laughs> Worst thing I could have did. So, they, so I've heard from people that when you first hit the rock the first time, it ring, you hear a bell ring in your yeah, head. you do. You do. That's some real shit. Some real shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you, so... Is it true what they say? Once you you're chasing that high every time you do it, you never, but you never quite get that high again. Not unless you just get sober from that high, and then try it again. Wow. Yep. It's taking a lot of people out, man. Yes, yeah, terrible drug. It's awful, man. It has destroyed a lot of lives. So that was in '82. That was, uh, well, yeah, around '82 when I first started doing that. And, and ironically, that was when I became Muslim. Wow. At the same time. So you probably I, you read know, the Quran. I, I really wasn't, really wasn't you focused. Probably, you hit the pipe and smoked and read the Quran that night. You read the whole thing. <laughs> so I know the Quran now. I know everything about it. I know where. <laughs> I, was, I was so divided in my life with that. It was unbelievable, man. But you know what? Through the grace and mercy of Allah. The last time I ever touched it was in the summer of 91. Oh, wow. 
And I ain't looked back since. That's what I'm talking about. And I done traveled around the world, London, Australia, across the United States, did some great things, hooked up with Mike Tyson and yeah. Brian King, and did some great things. What so, what boxer do you remember? You're like, oh, yeah, that motherfucker high in the ring. He's on crack in the ring. Uh, I'm trying to think. What's this guy's name? He fought Lennox Lewis and lost. McCall? Oliver McCall. You he, he looked was? like he was toe up from the flow up when he lost that second time to, to uh, Lennox Lewis. So you think he was on some crack? Wow. Oh, yeah. And, and Aaron Pryor was really wiped out on it. While he was in the ring? He had to be. Wow. Because outside the ring, his whole life was... In shambles. Yeah. He was making lots of money, man. What is it about it? When people smoke that, do they go into like a a a, a trance where they really just out of touch with reality? Like Yes. I so, think so. Oh so 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 once you came back to you like, wow, this ain't even my I'm not I wasn't even on this planet. When I got busted and I was going in and out of jail in the eighties, late eighties especially. Hanging out at MacArthur Park over on Wilshire and Right. Well, yes, where we used to buy the fake ID. <laughs> they still, do it. They still got it over there. That's the fake ID capital of the world. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> um, at that time, MacArthur Park was like a supermarket for crack. And they had Latinos from all different countries, Central America, South America, right. that were competing for customers. That would come in and out to that, right. that park. Uh, man, I was getting busted, man. And, you know, I could walk down the sidewalk and you could find rocks laying on the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> That's people that left behind from running from the police. <laughs> yeah, wow. It was crazy, man. It was crazy. Wow. So 91, so 91, you get off of it. Yeah. Um, what was the final straw where you were like, man, this is it. I'm done with it. Uh, well, I, at the last time I I went to jail in uh, November of 90 for possession. And then going to state prison for violating probation, uh, joint suspended probation. Um, it was while I was in prison that I made my mind up that I wanted to start living again. Once I came home, I wanted to start dressing nice and start going places and doing things. I knew I couldn't do that, messing with that stuff. And a big motivator was my two kids, my son and daughter, were in a foster home because my wife and I had separated in 85, and she kept the kids, and she was using that stuff and end up losing the kids. Right. And they put them in two different foster homes. So I had to make my mind up, look, if I'm going to be able to help them, I got to keep myself together. Right. So when I came home, my friend E.J. Jackson had Jackson Limousine Service, who I've been knowing since the eight, uh, 70s, gave me a little job driving limousines. Got me a little apartment and kept going back and forth to Children's Court 
got my daughter back. She started living with me. She was nine years old at the time. And then I got my son. And I got a bigger space, big apartment. So the three of us, and I'm raising them from the time they were nine and ten years old until they got out of high school. Wow. And I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have got them back if I was all messed up on the crack. Right. And uh, it was been, it's been a wonderful thing for me to be able to look, reflect on how I did it. Uh, where I'm at today, it's uh, truly amazing. God is the greatest. I agree, 100%. Wow. Man, I appreciate you taking us on this journey. You know, um, hopefully y'all learn more about the OG. You know, he's a blessing in our community. He stays around comedy. I don't know. I feel we got we got so many connections, but I feel like I get that <laughs> spirit of Red Fox from him, man. I'm heavily yeah, influenced. Red was my friend, man. He was he was cool people, man. I love. I'm heavily influenced by Red as a stand up comedian. So yeah, you know, um, yeah, man. I appreciate you coming on again. Tell people where they could uh, inquire about purchasing these paintings. Well, they can go to uh, MubarakArt.com and Q Mubarak. Zero six on Instagram. Okay, we're gonna fill a couple questions in the Discord. How many people we got in Discord? We got a couple in the Discord. All right, man. So anybody got questions for the OG? We're gonna fill a few questions. Make sure you click the video and take your phone off mute. We're gonna let the first person in. Tell me their name first. Uh, actually, it's Jamison. Jamison. Okay, Jamison. You know what to do. If you can hear my voice, turn the video on. Turn on your audio. I'm gonna let you guys ask some questions, man. Yes. Okay. Let's run it. One second. Sorry. Here we go. All right. Jimerson, what's going on, man? Hit 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 the audio. Audio. All right. Can you hear me? Man, I cannot hear you, bro. Uh, it's not on our end. Yeah, we can't hear you. If you can hear me, we can't hear you. I can see you perfectly fine. You sound like he's trying to talk. Yeah, we can't hear him. Bring him back in in a second. Let's take okay. the ne- right. next call. The call right back, man. Get that fixed for us so we, so we can get you in, bro. We're going to go to the next caller. Hey, if you can hear my voice, man, click the video, unmute your phone. What we got coming in? Um, They went away. I don't, I'm trying to get the person back. Uh, Log back. There you go. There you go. Go ahead and put your, um, your camera on some. Put your camera on and you mute so I can put you over. Come on, y'all. Come there on, Slim. Put your camera on. Put I mean, your put, camera uh, on, buddy. All right, gotcha. There you go. All right, all right. Can you hear me? Hey, why people? I can't hear anybody today. It's got to be something on our end if it keep coming like this, Sarah. I know, but I'm. Unmute them. I, I don't have a mute. 
I don't have a muted. That's the thing. Yeah, something, Arian. We got to get that figured out. Wow. Oh, what'd you say? You say something? Say it again? Talk again, Slim? That was Muhammad saying something. Oh, sorry. No, I'm saying something. See, all the the volume's up. Not sure why. Something isn't plugged in. Dang, man. Mouthpiece wants to know if the Panthers have a good brisket recipe. <laughs> they had to have a Panther pie. Or or some type of <laughs> it had to be. <laughs> we had what we call panther piss. Okay, this is drank. This has got to be drank. It was a drink called uh, the bunchy. Silver satin with bitter lemon. Okay, so we're gonna bring that back. Silver satin with bitter lemon. The yeah. bunchy after bunchy Carter. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna bring that back. I'm a Ooh. I'm a drink a bunchy today. Pause, man. <laughs> we gonna try it again, Sarah. I'll try it again. Unmute your, put your camera on. And unmute your phone. Is that, all my stuff is the same as it was. I'm not sure what's happening right now. Let's get it together. We're gonna go on a quick break so we can get this issue fixed. Okay. And let's get it fixed, and we'll be right back. Give us about uh four about four or five minutes. Four or five minutes. Hold on, just a second. Let me back up. Ah. We'll be right back, fellas. If all you something, get it from God. God, God. And we're back. All right, we're back, man. Bring y'all goofy asses back in here, man. We got some real, we're going to fill these questions for some of our callers. First of all, I want to uh, shout out to the homie in Orange County, OC. His wife passed yesterday. Yeah. Um, we're going to try to figure out something we can do for the OG. We love him and respect him. And at the end of the day, man, um, shit, community over all the bullshit, man. And we like family out here, man. So rest in peace. Rest in peace to the homie's wife. Uh, let's go ahead and bring Jimerson in. All right, here we go. There we go. What's going on, man? What's happening, big bro? What's happening? Oh man, chilling, chilling, man. Hey, man, we already know you got some insightful uh, questions to ask the OG, man. I'm gonna let you take the floor and go ahead and ask what you want to ask. Okay. Um. Well, I, I hadn't known that you had got you know gone through addiction or whatever, but I was wondering how I made you feel to see Huey go down like the way he did, man. It was heartbreaking. 
uh, because I knew and felt at that time that it, the federal government was behind all that. Right. And because they were trying to destroy the Black Panther Party. And I believe that they used drugs, cocaine in particular, as a diabolical plan to destroy the not only the Black Panther Party, but the black community. Right. And so many people that I knew uh, that were members of the party got hooked on this stuff and ended up becoming homeless and living on the streets. Uh, people that were powerful people in the movement at one time. Right. Did you guys start targeting like drug dealers and robbing drug? Because that's how it's depicted later on down the line as the party started to dismantle that, you know, Panthers started robbing I, drug dealers. I heard that, that that was taking place up in Oakland. Okay. I heard some stories about, you know, the Black Panther Party trying to extort uh, the big drug dealers up there. Right, right. Felix Mitchell. Right, right. You know what I mean? I heard that. But oh. I wasn't, a, you know, privy to everything that was going on up there because I was down here in L.A. Right. Completely different politics. Yeah, different atmosphere. Hey, that was a great question, Jimerson. Uh, we're going we're gonna to take this next call, man. We appreciate you calling in, bro. Have a good day, y'all. Love and respect. Thank you, brother. Thank for, you. For all you said, we get it from God. God, God, God. Next caller. Put your video on. Put your video on, love. Hey. And we back. Yeah. I can hear you now. I got to see you. Shit, I thought I had the damn thing on. Don't be cursing. Hold up. We can hear you, definitely. <laughs> Here we go. All right. How you doing, bro? What's going on with you, Slim? Hey, man. Can we vote for Trump? <laughs> <laughs> we probably should, huh? <laughs> yeah, man. I I'm think... on the show for real, like. From my OG partner, salute, blessings. Thank you, sir. Thank you, brother. Can, it, what what are we supposed to do out in this motherfucker, man? Well, I think uh, one of the things that I think should be a priority is that um, black families should readdress uh, their approach to the children in terms of the way that our history is brought down to them. Right. Because I would say hundreds of thousands, if not millions of kids do not have any clue to what their history is all about. Right. Because their parents ain't passing it down to them. And the only thing that they care about right now is this whatever they see on TV or in the movies or the music they listen to. Right. That's the only thing they care about. Yeah, 100% agree. And, uh, huh? Okay. Since you uh speaking on the music, like, you know, I see, I see like how how street culture is becoming black culture. 
And what and I and I say that meaning like you you have you have a part of my language, man. I don't mean no disrespect, but I'm a cussing motherfucker. I'll cuss a lot. I'm okay. just passionate in the shit I say, and I don't mean no disrespect. Just be yourself. My man. So, y- you will fuck around and see a doctor talking about, I'm keeping it gangster or, or no snitching and shit. And it's like, it's, it's almost like street culture is becoming black culture. And I, and I don't like that shit. I don't like that shit. Like street is the streets and then there's black folk. Like, but they it's it's so muddy that what is your what is your definition of black culture? What is your definition of black culture? It's human. Just being a human being. I think black people, everybody is just human. You know what I mean? Like, but you got street shit. I, I just like freedom, just human, just well, well, just me, being human. You me, know what I mean? Let me let me uh, share this with. I don't you. know if I'm explaining it right, but yeah, because one black culture is 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 our culture, our our love for our people. Number one, our love for being black is. Is is the essence of our culture, and where we came from, where we came you from, you understand, and how far back we have come from to where we are today. Uh, the growth and development of our communities and our the way we love each other, and what we represent as Black people. Today is all about black our black art, our black music, our black soul. Mm. Our 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 souls is our culture. Right. You feel me? One hundred percent. Yeah. The the images that you see behind us of Marvin Gaye and Nina Simone, they represent black music in our culture. Right. Our soul. That's part of our soul. And in spite of the fact that we have been enticed by alcohol and drugs throughout our history, we still have a history because we, our culture of knocking down doors and becoming trailblazers for other folk to come after we leave. Right. You know what I mean? Indeed. So our culture is very important. That's a great. And understanding uh, the richness that we bring to the table as black folk. TV, Sarah. Okay. Man, that's a great. That's, Slim, that's a great question and great answer, man. Uh, hopefully you got the answer you was looking for. I'm going to take this next caller, big bro. If all hey, you can I say one more thing before you go? Before go y'all ahead. go. Yes, sir. No problem. Go ahead. I'm going to say it a thousand times every time I call, if you, if I get the opportunity, man, I appreciate everything you doing, bro. We need this, and I salute all of y'all, man. I salute y'all because this this is this is substance, man. This is real food for the, for the spirit, and I appreciate yeah. it, man. Yeah. I really do, bro. Yeah. Hey, I appreciate you, man. Love and respect, good brother. 
And uh, should I talk to you next time? Be safe out there. If I owe you something, get it from God. God, God, God. Next caller. That's my guy right there. Um, Who we got next? Hey, if you listen, who's next? Tell me the name. Uh, we actually, uh, they went away when I went to turn the TV on. Oh, uh, man. But I do have a question for someone that cannot call in because they're at work. Um, but they want to know, um, when did you see the switch from uh, blacks being a group of empowerment, the black Panthers being a group of empowerment to money first? Oh, the early 70s became a period where we sort of lost our focus because it was the movies, the black movies and the the music uh, sort of drift, drove us away from looking at society in a different kind of way than we were. Right. We were talking about overthrowing the government right. through violence and through uh changing the political uh, situation uh, in order to change the, the conditions of black people in the community. We thought fighting back with guns was that way of doing it. Right. And because we were armed and organized, the FBI, the federal government, raised this arm against us in such a way where they had to figure out how to destroy this movement that we had developed. Right. This is why I say they used drugs. Mm. This was the diabolical plan that they had to get everybody's mind and soul all messed up on this stuff where they, you know, were no more leaders. Right. Because the drugs took over our lives. Man, literally destroyed nationwide what we was trying to accomplish. Hey, that's that's heavy, man. They targeted this man and destroyed families. Oh man! Instead of providing more resources, you know, at the end of the day, if we weren't starving and disenfranchised, there would be no reason for a Black Panther Party, you know, and. Yeah. um and whenever, whenever, whenever we have to go to those means to be heard and respected, that's a system failure. Yeah. It's not a community failure. So uh, the lesson in this is today, man, hey, man, you can always bounce back, be incredible, and do incredible things. Before we end today's uh, uh, special show, we're going to go ahead and let uh, the brother Muhammad tell the, peop- tell the people again where they can find him, how to purchase the paintings, and, you know, all that good stuff. You can go to uh, MubarakArt.com, M-U-B-A-R-A-K-A-R-T.com. Check out my website and go to QMubarak06 on Instagram. Check out my Instagram. And uh, I can give you my phone number. Should I do uh-huh, No, we ain't going to do the phone. Okay, all right. <laughs> Reach out to me. There's some wild people out here, man. You know? <laughs> It might be somebody just breathing on the phone. Yeah, man. Because yeah. somebody called me the other day after that other program. Yeah, right, right. And they said something to me about some crazy shit. And I'm like, who is this? Who are you? And they hung the phone up on me. Like, 
It's probably one of them pink panthers, man. We, we got to keep, <laughs> keep them away from us. Hey, man, that's been this episode of uh, Craig Facts for the day. Interview with my... Thank my, you for having me. Man. Oh, man. Appreciate Many it. more to come, man. 